Welcome back to part three of this episode of Care Matters. My name is Obed Tawazera, and I'm joined by Breda Maloney from the University College Dublin, Camille Allard from the University of Sheffield, and Winnie Lam also from the University of Sheffield. I think another area of interest, why I was listening to you guys, is when we talk, for example, about migrant care workers and people combining these different care and work responsibility from a country to another country, I was wondering whether you find out that there were some kind of specific, because I guess there may be some specific um, maybe cultural influences, maybe some kind of other requirements. I guess even if all carers share the same kind of challenge and go through the same kind of daily challenges, maybe there may also be the importance of acknowledging the cultural perception of care, which may play a role. And that would be interesting that we talk about that. Thank you, Camille. It's really, really an important uh, question that you have just raised there, uh, because uh, in what normally happens is that uh, in the UK now, what we have is that we've got like a hodgepodge of uh, different um, ethnic groups, uh, probably people coming from different countries who are now aging and retiring in the UK. So ideally, like if you look at the literature or if you look at how people from, uh, for instance, Africa are portrayed, it is normally portrayed that in Africa, the family is normally seen as the primordial site of care. And um, many people who have studied care in Africa have demonstrated that uh, the ideology of family cohesion and commitment through obligation and re re reciprocity are prevalent in most African countries. But uh, now with more things that are happening, things like globalization and modernization, and of course migration, they are changing the way African families uh, care for their elderly. But the most important thing is that uh, some practices are still heavily embedded uh, in indigenous cultures. And when we have types of people who are now living in the UK, like the UK now is the super diversification, this could be potentially challenging for care arrangements uh, as people from different places who are now coming into the UK, have got different expectations of care. Migration from the UK, especially international retirement, means that more people are growing up in the UK and are retiring here in the UK and they've got these unplanned care needs and uh, they've got these dispersed networks and where their networks or their families are not with them here and these families could be overseas or elsewhere. So the care needs of these people could have some implications for the relationship between migration and aging and this kind of raises some challenges for the sustainable care and well-being of uh, people aging in the UK. Yes, Obert, I can um, come in with you on that. Certainly, um, even in Ireland, from from we're talking about a cultural influence and perspective on on um, family cares, um, and even from a macro culture influencer um, in Ireland, we have that obviously the same situation in terms of a rising older population. But in comparison with other um, European high-income countries, we have the largest percentage of young people and with young carers predominantly in the 15 to 19 age category. So as you can imagine, that sort of is a cohort that will be going on to be uh, possibly um, adult carers as well with that particular demographic um, and certainly culture having a significant part to play in that. And I think 
in terms of culture and that you know the urban shift of workers and COVID has certainly highlighted that also with people remobilizing back to their, their home areas, back to that environment. So I think the economy at large is is having a shift in a cultural momentum in the way that we work and the way that we care for our family members. And I think young people particularly are on the cusp of that shift of economic change. And certainly it's something that, you know, it's, it's, it's research. It's where we need to come in right now and make that difference and give that voice to those who are vulnerable and who are, who may not have the same level of opportunity or scope. Yeah. So I know Wing, um, do you have um, something to add in that in terms of, you know, culture in that as well? It's really interesting from the different backgrounds. What has your experience been? Yeah, so uh, thanks, Frida, for your question. So when I when I designed the research, I designed to collect data from both Hong Kong and the UK, which because I was expecting there would be some difference in terms of how working carers experience their, their, their working care. Um, however, quite interestingly, I found more similarities than differences between working carers from both places. Let me just quote how one of my UK participants described his elder care experience. It takes a village to raise a child. So this is how he described his elder care responsibility. And I can see how my participant from the UK and Hong Kong um, also go through a similar kind of experience. So they receive a lot of help and support from their friends, their relative, um, their workplace. Some of them need to coordinate with other family members to arrange care, to arrange uh, medical appointments, to share the responsibilities and so on. So at least for people who take up informal care while they are in employment, what they do and the way they perceive care are very different from two places, which is quite interesting. I think the most obvious difference is that due to the availability of lower cost um, migrant paid carer who live together with the people they're caring for. So I can see that for participants in Hong Kong, for those who can afford the paid care, they are less likely to have to support housework and do personal care on a day-to-day basis. So let's say a participant might only cook for her grandmother on weekends when the worker is having their day off, uh, while Monday to Friday, she she won't have to do uh, carry out these tasks. And then, which I think another difference is associate with the availability of migrant workers, is that I tend to see the working carers in Hong Kong work longer hours. So I have participants in the UK who work part-time and so on, but I can see from what they write in their diaries from my participant in Hong Kong. They tend to say, oh, I work so late today. Um, I got home only by 6 p.m. So I couldn't carry out any support or any care tasks. I think um, not only the cultural expect that 
makes care experience and work experience different. Sometimes it's the policy and the economic conditions of the country that also matters. I think that's a really good point. I just would like to just wanted to add on this that I think I think it's like looking at working carers. I think economic resources, social and economic uh, circumstance, working carers, social class, for instance, I think really matters to understand how they can have access to resources. And I think it's it's really important to kind of have like a you know kind of intersectional way of looking at working carers for being able to you know and acknowledge how. They may be under different policy regime in, in the different cultural context with different challenge uh, linked to their age, if they're young, for instance, and how it's important also to acknowledge how the economic resources is kind of a, a big component of their experience. So thank you very much. That was really fascinating. Just coming back to that point again about uh, this cultural aspect, especially taking in Winnie's uh, point, last point that uh, the care regime in a country has got a lot to say about um, uh, how care is uh, is practiced. In my study, I also went to Zimbabwe and I was able to interview the relatives of the migrant care workers as well as uh, some of uh, their relatives that they were caring for. So the difference that um, mainly came was uh, the idea that most migrants in the UK now that they have been exposed to a different caring context where they normally see people being put into care homes and, 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 and stuff, they actually are thinking that uh, it could be a good way uh, to help them to be able to go to work if they were to put their own parents into care homes. But then because in Zimbabwe there is a difference because uh, care homes are seen in a different way than the way they are seen over here. And first, care homes have always been in existence in Zimbabwe, and uh, they've been mainly for the rich, especially uh, rich Europeans who, who live in Zimbabwe, and most black people were only known as working in care homes. The care homes that have been uh, there for mostly the blacks and uh, the poor have been those that are uh, where, where people who have no families or anywhere else to go were put, uh, were put in. So there's that cultural idea that they think that if they put an elderly person into a care home it's seen as a sign of disrespect so in that way there is a pressure on the family to look after its elderly uh, so the pressure is even more because they cannot put the elderly into a care home in zimbabwe as well there is no employment of uh, of, of migrants to come and do the care work but of course there is uh, an employment of uh, maids or nursing aides to come and do the care work uh, in the family but that could be a bit expensive as well so this is where like um, some of uh, the, the the differences could be seen between uh especially zimbabwe and uh and, and the uk or this could be the difference between africa and the west so thank you very much for your insight into that similar to what you were saying gobert in terms of here in Ireland, I suppose historically it has always been something that where we would have had typically your parents at home and the children looking after the parents into the older age and that demographics changing economics and you have a situation of the middle income or the sandwich earners having to, to look after elderly family members as well as having possibly the young children as well to look after. 
So absolutely, um, nursing homes and that become a conversational point. And I think just that keyword you mentioned, you know, in terms of that feeling of guilt or feeling that they're responsible for having to do this for their family member. But I think with the recognition as well that an awareness that needs to happen and to have that conversation with the public. And I think our roles as researchers will is pivotal in that and making the public aware of you know, the whole family caring and that whole sustainability of care. And I think central to each of our researches is the fact that we are thinking about the well-being of our people that we're interviewing, the family cares and their families. And that's, I think, key to what needs to be done for sustainable care. And as I say, it is very much vital to get that research discovered and get it out there and through this um, podcast is something that um, it's great to be part of and to share the experiences with you guys and um, even a cross-cultural discussion um, is really powerful so and um, thank you for that thank you breda just uh, to add on uh, my last uh, comment uh, on the cultural aspect is uh, just to bring into focus that um, actually whilst in Africa it is always seen that the family is uh, the, the primary site of care, things are really changing. Got a lot of uh, economic development which is normally associated with the uh, rural to urban migration of young people who are leaving the elderly in rural areas and leaving them geographically isolated. But also like in the context of Zimbabwe there's also been poverty political violence, which has been experienced in the past two decades, which has seen a lot of young people actually leaving the country in large numbers to work in, uh, in, in other countries, especially the UK. So migration kinds of create the emotional distance between uh, the young and the old, and this is uh, resulting in some intergenerational conflicts as the young people now being exposed to new uh, ways of thinking, Western ways of thinking, they no longer see the family as the cosmological extension of, of, of the of, of the spiritual reality, kind of. So things like formal education and the technological revolution that we've been talking about, they are also like undermining the importance of the elderly, who have also always been seen as the providers of wisdom and knowledge, and also in a way diminishing their roles as social guides. So there's also like the biggest issue, uh, probably one that I would like us to discuss as the last, as the last uh, thing here is the issue of women. Uh, for my, from my own point of view and from my research, uh, the migration of women who have traditionally been a sources of care for the elderly have been weakening because uh, women have normally been the ones who took the burden of care. So now because they are migrating and they are also entering into the formal labor market it is seen as contributing to the weakening of uh, of the traditional source of care for the elderly the distance that's created by migra migration is also seen as affording them kind of a, a a way of getting away from that cultural grip that is there that always makes them as primary carers in a family so to finish off i would just like to bring this idea of gender to just have a, a quick conversation about it. Uh, how is gender been important in your research? Yeah, gender is definitely a very important issue that I came across in, in my research because the majority of my participants were, were women. And so they had to undertake a care responsibility for their parents sometimes, but also for their parents-in-law. And then there, was, there were two points which were interesting here. I think touching about our discussion of how care also has to be 
contextualize in um, specific culture or background, for instance. I had some, uh, some participants uh, who were from an Indian background, um, they were women, and they explained to me how they had to juggle these uh, expectations that they had to work full time, but they were still seen by their parents and their relative as a main one who had to undertake uh, care responsibility for their parents because there was a, a cultural expectation here. But they were discussing whether it was gender expectation or cultural expectation, how it was kind of mixing between each other. They also faced what I call the sibling issue, uh, that sometimes it was always one sibling in the family, so mainly the daughter, who had to take this kind of care responsibility, and they had issues with communicating with their other sibling, brother and sister. And it was common across all my participants, uh, British participants or participants from another nationality. That was a very common issue here about uh, the daughter may, being the main uh, care provider. Of course, not excluding the fact that more and more men also take on more care responsibility, which is again another issue associated with gender expectation because their experience as carer and their ability to identify as a carer may be more challenging than for women, for example. I just want to add in relation to your point, um, your excellent point, Roberta, in relation to gender in that. I was drawing on some work done by the Central Statistics Office in relation to young carers. There was no major significant difference between the male to female numbers who were identified as young carers. As the numbers then came in toward the early 20s, um, there were more female carers than, than male, which would tie in with the larger um, research out there. Interesting, there has been an increase, just a small increase in the number of males who are actually involved in family caring in Ireland. But the challenge is, I suppose, getting that awareness and their availability to become part of the research as well, um, which sometimes isn't always possible or is there a reluctance possibly for the male carer, as you mentioned, Camille, as well, about self-identification as a carer may have a part to play in that? Yeah, I agree with uh, Frida as well. So uh, from despite most of my participants are actually women, but from the information that provide to me, I can see how they are describing oh how my brother is helping me, how my husband is helping me, how how did I coordinate with my brothers on care and so on. So yeah, I think a lot of women, despite their working, uh, they still have to care because of maybe traditional expectation and so on. But certainly there are more and more uh, men who are also picking up care as well. Thank you, Winnie. Uh, Camille, did you want to add your last point? I think, yes, maybe a last point is about how women's health, mental health, physical health has to be important also because, because the fact that taking care uh, still mostly from, of the children, that they're also taking on care for their parents and that they have now, um, they're more likely to have a full-time job. I think women's health, women's well-being um, is important to kind of uh, outline here. Male carers' well-being is also equally important, but I'm just thinking in terms of impact on women health. Um, this triple burden is important here. Thank you, Camille. Yes, just to finish up, uh, especially on this uh, gender issue in the Zimbabwean context, it's really, really uh, important to understand uh, the, the the gender implications of all this caring relationship because 
women in, 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 in a Zimbabwean society are kind of constructed as uh, the primary caregivers and um, men seen as the providers or the authority figures in the family. So conventionally, women are expected to be the main providers of care to the elderly. Uh, and this is seen like as an extension of the caregiving they, they, they provide to, 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 to young children or other dependent people. So specific assumptions normally include that uh, women will be willing and will be able to provide care and assist in everyday uh, kind of household activities. And that um, those households will have the economic capacity to provide care. So ideally, that does not mean that um, uh, the, these gender uh, norms are, are, are static or they are immune from uh, negotiations. The reality is that many women, like in Zimbabwe, like now, are they are in fact quite involved in activities previously designated as male. A lot of them are entering the formal education, like I've said, and they are breaking barriers and joining the formal labor market, uh, with some earning as much, if not more, than their husbands, and also contributing economically to the households. So in as much as uh, it is argued that family like in Zimbabwe is very patriarchal, it can also be argued that it is like matrifocal uh, with women contributing as much as men to the decision making, uh, especially in the running of the day-to-day -day care uh, relationships in a, in a family. So thank you very much for your input, Breda, Camille and Winnie. Thank you everyone for listening. Uh, I hope you found this uh, conversation insightful.